Welcome. I'm Warner Deschillet, and this is a Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to a Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Elahe Boss on May 3rd, 2021. Elahe noticed a sense of anxiety in her young daughter and decided to create a children's book to help her daughter. That one children's illustrated book grew to a website called Plant Love Grow, and she's been writing and illustrating and publishing children's books for the past 15 years. Her stories focus on inner growth through practical and sustainable methods and tools. With a background in applied human sciences and human relations, and now as a child behavior consultant, she brings creativity, passion, understanding, and practical perspective as she helps families learn and grow. We talk about her work in the interview. I started the interview by asking Ella Hay where she grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I was born in Zaire, which now is often known as the Congo, and all four of us were born there. My parents lived there for 16 years. And then we lived in Laos, Southeast Asia, until the age of 15. So for us, living away from the family was the norm. When I was 15, I moved back with my sister to study in Calgary for a year, where we lived with our aunt and uncle. And then we went to Vancouver for another year. And then I moved to Montreal when I was 19. And that's when I got married and we settled here. So there was a lot of uh, traveling growing up and a lot of experiences where I feel like service was the main guiding principle of our lives and of my parents' lives. Religious life, coming from the point of view of this is all I knew, it felt very much like it was a life of service. My parents, I think, guiding principle in their life was very much one of service growing up. And also the jobs that they took and the lifestyle that they had and very much their vision of serving humanity in the way they could. And were you born in Zaire? I was born in Zaire, yes. Mm -hmm. One of the tenets of the Baha'i faith is the independent investigation of truth. And so I was wondering, at, was there a time or an age that the Baha'i faith no longer was just a religion that you grew up in and was your family's religion and it actually became something you owned as a belief system for yourself? I think that path became very clear when I was 14 years old. You know, we lived in Laos then, which was close enough to India, and there was the Baha'i House of Worship, which is in a temple in the form of a lotus, very beautiful in India. And I had heard that you could do service over there. And we were studying by correspondence. I made this deal with my parents that if I could finish four months of work in two months, they would consider letting me go to do service in India and be an usher basically at the Baha'i Temple. And so I did that. This path was very much choosing for myself and 
trying to see if the principles that they lived with apply to my own values and my own vision of the world. And it was a very marking experience for me. At some point, I really felt like I was being held in God's palm, you know, where you are seeing the world for the first time and making those decisions for the first time. And I think, you know, I have a teenager now, I have two teenagers, a 13 and a 15 year old, and I'm seeing them making those decisions and having to process everything that they've been brought up with, within their own reality. And every generation lives through different challenges, through different reality, through different filters that they have to sift the information through and sift the values through it. And it's a very interesting process for me. And I remember having this conversation with my dad when I was a little bit older than 15, where I, I got really angry with him. And I said, you can talk to me about everything. But when it comes to my religion, my relationship with God, it's on me. It's me. It's between me and and God, and that's it. Like, it's always been a very, very personal thing for me, that decision. And it's always been a very intimate connection and conversation between us and our source. So I've always felt it very much as a, you, know, you talked about personal investigation, as a very personal, personal journey and personal connection that we each have to make on our own one of the questions that has always made me choose this fate every day is I always ask myself, am I a better person because of this fate? Am I a better person because of these beliefs? Do they make me a better human? And for me, it's a choice that you make every day, sometimes multiple times a day, because we're always faced with all of our choices. So I take that as a very personal connection and a personal decision. And I've always taught my children that this is a very personal decision that they will have to make when they are ready to make that decision for themselves. Alahe, was your first love art when you were growing up? My mother was an artist. My siblings were all very artistic. It took me a while to realize that it was even a thing. It was so natural for us to do art and to just be so comfortable with it that I think it came to a point where I actually realized that, oh, it's not like that for everyone. I think what came for me was a moment where I had to give myself permission to think of art as more than a hobby. And to think of art as an actual passion that I could really develop and spend more time on. It was always there, but I grew up with a bit of a, the old mentality, which you often see, unfortunately, which is still one where art is often unappreciated and kind of looked at as, oh, it, it's a hobby until you find a real job or it's something you do on your side while you're getting another job. It took me a while to build it and believe in it myself and believe in myself as an artist to say, no, you know what, I'm choosing for this to be more than that. In terms of first love, looking back, it was always poetry, writing stories and art. 
I have like all these little pieces and things like that that I, I've been doing as a child. And for the longest time, I never paid attention to them until much later on where I realized, yeah, indeed, it was my first love, but I didn't know it for a long time. Ella, hey, what inspired you to be a children's book writer, illustrator, and publisher? I think this also was a moment of clarity for me. I asked myself what was the best version of myself? What did this best version look like? And it brought me back to those earlier passion, to that joy, that joy of creating, that joy of sharing, to really think back to what it was that brought me joy as a child, what it was the common thread through everything that I did in life was art and stories. No matter which path I took, that was the common thread that came through everything. And when I realized that, I was able to see how powerful it could be. And for me, stories are so powerful in terms of change and in terms of their potential to help us heal and grow. A beautifully done well-written story can impact a child so much. So taking this path felt like an answer to a question that I think we'd all ask ourselves, which was, what can I do to help? What is my purpose in life? How do I serve in a way that makes sense to me? For me, that really came through stories and through illustrating those stories. I decided when I was pregnant with our first child, I knew that education was something very important to us. I knew that I personally, for our family, we had decided that it was important that one of us stays home and help raise our children to give them as much of that foundation as we possibly could. It was a moment of decision where I decided that while I was growing this family, I was also going to grow my skills as a writer and illustrator. So for a couple of years, I took online courses through the Institute of Children's Literature. I worked on building my portfolio of sending out stories and really work on growing that side of myself that I had ignored and put aside and, and taken for granted. So that was a big moment for me. And the publishing part came about five or six years after I had started. I was helping my oldest daughter through a personal challenge and that journey meant creating a story for her. What I was trying to do was find stories that could help her and help children who were dealing with anxiety, help children find tools in a story, help children find very specifically written stories that could really give them hope. What I found was that it was very hard for me to find these stories and very hard for me to find the resources that I need. So that's when the decision to go and also publish our own stories came into light because it was really out of necessity. And I've always believed that publishing a story and creating a story for one child is good enough. If it helps one child, it's done more than we can imagine because the effect of a story on a child can really be very transformative. Ella Hay, you have published so many children's books. 
can you describe them for us or some of them for us? <laughs> we have a lot of books. I think I'm going to tell you what's in common with a lot of them and then maybe describe uh, two of them. So a lot of stories are stories that help with growth, reflection, conversations, and acknowledgement of our inner light and possibilities. So that's always in there in how the story is written, in how the characters deal with a situation. There's always an element of healing, feeling, and connection, of validating the feelings of the character and not necessarily trying to fix things from an external voice, but more helping the realization come from within. I personally take books very seriously. And I always think of the way I write and illustrate to make sure that a child will always feel safe and seen in our stories. Most of our stories come from a personal reflection of our experience. I'm just going to give you two examples. One of our books is called We Know Better Game. And that one came when my children were still at an age where there was a lot of bullying happening in the classroom and a lot of fighting in between. It was very hard for parents to try to help. And I realized there's not a lot of tools necessarily for teachers to have these conversations. And a lot of the conversations that are happening are very one-sided and they kind of be like, don't do that, you know, or just tell them to stop or, or they're not taking the conversation further. And these are big conversations that children need to have and they need to be able to talk about these issues in a way that feel safe and feel like you're giving them a resource and you're giving them something so we know better game is written in the point of view of the children it's about them making better choices you know so it starts with for example there is a game that is not a game it is played here and there and sadly everywhere it is a game where we all lose, but you don't have to play if you so choose. We don't play that game of shame, of making fun of someone's name. That game where because you're big and tall, you make everyone else feel really small. That game where you belong, but only if you play along. We know better games than pushing or shoving. Games that don't involve hitting or gossiping. Better games than making fun of someone's looks, ideas, or what they've done. And it goes on and on mm. about all the other games that they choose instead. I remember receiving this email from a parent once saying how he had stumbled upon our book and when he read it with his child, it opened up a huge conversation about what was happening at school and about making personal choices. And at the end of the book, we always have, especially in this one, we have discussion points, we have resources, we have printables, and we have ways that you can talk about it in a way where we've put a situation forward through a story and the child can find their place in it and feel safe doing so. So that's one of the book. The other one that I chose as an example is called A Spot of Blue. The way this one came about was uh, at the time I was uh, talking to a friend and she mentioned something and it was just a little thing. And I remember instead of just letting it go, I kept picking at it mentally and just like focusing on it and obsessing about it. And I had this visual image of myself like scratching this thing until it became huge and huge. And so that kind of led to the story called 
A Spot of Blue, which is a story of an owl who's about to have a beautiful day waiting on his favorite tree until he notices a blue spot. And it's a tiny little worry spot. And instead of just continuing on his journey, he tries to blow it and then he tries to scratch it and he tries to wipe it off. And then he keeps focusing and focusing and focusing until it gets to the point where he is all blue. So I'll just read you a little section. He tried to blow it off. The spot was still blue, but now it grew. He started scratching the dot. It spread and became a smudge. He tried to wipe it off, but it simply wouldn't budge. Al was in doubt. Maybe the wind was just a tad too cool. Perhaps tonight was not such a fantastic night. No matter what he did, it was stuck like tape. It didn't itch or ache. It was just there, an odd blue shape. He wobbled and jiggled, waddled and shook. He hopped, skipped and stretched out his wings. The shape only grew, and now he was all blue. And then the story goes into basically what the owl does to bring himself back to a place where he feels good again and to shift the focus. So we introduce gratitude, we introduce visualization, we introduce breeding. At the end, one of the points of the story is focus on them and they grow, let them be and they will go. And then we also have at the end an extended content to talk about our worries as well. It was a very simple way of helping children see something that they cannot see. I've read this story with children as young as kindergarten, and it's been such a wonderful way to give them a vocabulary and words to express something that is otherwise very hard to express. And again, for this one, I got an email the next day after doing a book reading and the teacher said, one of the child came to me and she said, I can't stop scratching my spot, you know, and, uh, and it's amazing. Just they got it like right away. Ella Hay, is there one that you could read for us in its entirety? I do have one. It's one of our latest one and it's called I'm Worthy. I want to say that the way this book happened was I, I wasn't planning on writing this book it was almost as if during the summer I kept getting these one sentences popping over in my head constantly and I kept just writing them down and saying you know what I, I'm not ready for you I'm not ready for you until the point where I pretty much had the book and I was like okay the book is coming <laughs> it's called I am worthy when the world becomes silent and the voices disappear, a whisper rises from my heart, a reminder of what I have not learned but already know. It is a feeling as vast as the sea, as loud as the thunder, as eternal as the deep. It is my reflection in all that surrounds me, the rain, the flowers, the waves, and the bumblebees, and it whispers to me that I am worthy, and it whispers to me that I am worthy. I am worthy of love, the kind that comforts, builds, and frees, the kind that is fuller than the moon, that envelops me like a warm cocoon. I am worthy of respect, so my thoughts, my words, and my feelings are worthy too. I am worthy when I think, I am worthy when I work, I am worthy even when I am still. I am worthy of the fields, the breeze, the forest, the river, and the trees. I am worthy of the butterflies, of each sunset and sunrise. I am worthy of each breath, 
of the air that flows through my lungs. I am worthy of every word that has been whispered, spoken, or sung. I am worthy of joy. I am worthy of laughter. I am worthy of everything that makes this life brighter. I am worthy when I fall. I am worthy when I shine. I am worthy when I have everything or nothing to call mine. I am worthy of acceptance. I am worthy of a chance. And while I figure out my rhythm, I am still worthy of the dance. I am worthy of abundance. I am worthy of delight, of miracles and surprises, and all that comes when I share my light. I am worthy of my choices, the ones you understand and the ones you don't. I am worthy of all my colors and all my voices. I am worthy of friendship. I am worthy of trust. And when I do less than my best, I am worthy of forgiveness. I am worthy every second of every single day. It is the truth that life whispered. It is the gift of being that I cherish along my way. I am worthy of faith. I am worthy of belief. I am worthy of time and especially of justice. I am worthy because I am somebody. I am worthy of ambition, of creativity and vision. I am worthy of the arts and music and all that makes this world magic. I am worthy of life, of living out my soul's calling. I am worthy of knowing, feeling, believing that I matter because I matter. And when all is said and done, and all the moons have risen, and all the suns have shone, when the world becomes silent and the voices disappear, will you hear that little whisper? It is as quiet as a droplet, yet as powerful as an ocean. Listen as it tells you what you already know. Say it, sing it, and shout it, and with every fiber of your being, believe it. It is your truth, your crown, your glory. Breathe it in and etch it forever in your memory. I am worthy. I am worthy. I am worthy. So we're speaking with Ella Hay Boss. She's a uh, children's book writer, illustrator, and publisher. And she just read from the book, I Am Worthy, which is one of the many children's books that she writes, illustrates, and publishes. Ella Hay, you have a website called Plant Love Grow. What inspired you to use this name for your website? I was looking for something that summed up the process of parenting. For me, that's what came out of it. It's the process of caring for, educating children through a gardening metaphor. I feel like we are constantly planting seeds, but the process that changes the seed into something else is love it is the love that makes the growing happen and love when we're talking in the concept of parenting it means showing up walking our talk weeding being present giving our plants room to grow guiding them and everything else that helps our children become the best version of themselves so for me it's the journey plant love grow was the journey of parenting in a way where we're helping these seeds and these plants grow into something that is of service and that is fruitful and that is the best version of themselves through our work as parents. And what will people find when they land on your page, Plant Love Grow? The main thing you'll find is that it's a resource site. So you have all the books and you can see them you can see the sample pages of the books a lot of our books also come with free printable pages and the goal of those is really to carry the conversation 
further. So when you're reading a story with a child, I always explain it as you're opening a window or a door and the child comes through that door with you. So you have this opportunity for conversation. So we're trying to create the book experience and a reading experience to really allow parents and teachers and health professionals to have those conversations afterwards. We also have a large collection of free resources and printable pages. So even for people who can't get the books or they have the books and they're looking for more things to use, there's a whole collection of them on different topics. Everything that's there is really made to help guide, nurture, and inspire children through the help of the facilitator. And the facilitators really are the parents, the teacher, and the health professional who work with the children. And I call that the golden triangle because when we are able to give children resources within that, it's really helping them to bloom and to develop in a way they feel supported and seen. You touched on this a little bit about the inspiration for your first children's book that you wrote. And I was reading your about page. You make a statement which is quite intriguing. You say, Ella Hay knew something about fear. She grew up with a perpetual knot in her stomach, but it wasn't until she saw and understood the fear reflected in her child that she realized for herself the name of this uninterrupted anxiety. Can you elaborate on what was it that you had that then you saw, I guess, carried forward to your child? Yeah, I think growing up, I didn't really realize it back then. And I didn't realize it even as a a younger adult, but I am a very anxious person. I realized what happened is when my daughter was around four or five, we started noticing that she was a very different child in one setting than she was in another setting. What she was struggling with is called selective mutism, which is anxiety where the child will not talk in a setting that they feel anxious about. So by trying to help her deal with that, I started understanding how anxiety showed itself in children and how it shows itself in different ways. It took me on a personal journey of reflection and I realized how anxiety had been a part of my own life growing up in many different ways. But for a lot of people, it's not something that is as easily talked about, you know, especially back then as it is now. I think we have a lot more resources now to understand anxiety, worries, fears, all of the stuff that comes under the umbrella of mental health. Looking back into growing up, all the traveling, there was a lot of insecurity growing up. There was a lot of change for me. And I realized that I was not a child who dealt with change easily. So for me, it was a very anxious upbringing in some ways, because looking back now, I realized, oh, I was an anxious child. A lot of the tools that I'm working on now, they're working now because I can see it through the point of view of my inner child, but also because I've been able to help our daughter with giving her the support that she needed and helping her understand what was going on. So even the spot of blue, it was a personal experience where I realized something that happened to me as an adult that was happening to me as an adult, this inability to let go of something past the point where 
a worry becomes a little bit more than just a worry where you feel the feeling and you just let it pass, where you start to focus on it and you start to put your time on it and you start to put your mental energy on it. It's really about reflecting on what is happening now, accepting it and giving tools that can help us make better choices, that can help us deal with our feelings, that can help us deal with the situation. So helping our daughter through that process was very much an eye-opener for me into my own personal journey because one thing I've always believed it, as a parent, you cannot say one thing and do something else. I really felt like if I was to help our daughter with her anxiety, I needed to deal with my own. I needed to practice what I preached. I needed to work on myself as well. So I have a lot of habits that I've implemented and developed over the years for myself so that it's there, but it's not something that affects me in the way that it might affect me if I was not dealing with it or not aware of it. The way I look at it is it's kind of like a dragon. You have this dragon that's with you all the time. If you're trying to lock up your dragon, it's going to just tear you apart because it's a dragon and it's huge and it wants to come out. But if you can befriend your dragon, you realize that it's there and sometimes it's inconvenient because it's hard to do things with a dragon, but it also makes you so much stronger because you are more resilient. You are more determined. You've developed all these other qualities to help you with that. So I look at it that way now where it's not a bad thing. It is just something. And I get to decide if it's going to help me or if it's going to hinder me in life. Through all of these books, these books are an extension of all the conversations that I wish I had as a child and I feel children need to have. And as well as I see a lot of children that I work with there is this empathy because of my own personal experience. I can go into a classroom and within sometimes five minutes, there is an attraction with certain children because I can feel their energy, feel what they're not saying, feel that sense of familiarity that comes up in the energy and the nonverbal. And I think this is where I always try to write for everyone. So that some of our topics of our book are very unique. From a marketing point of view, a lot of people might think, okay, there's very few children that deal with this specific topic, but that's okay. Because if there is that one child out there who is struggling with that, that child will know that they are not alone. That's one of the things that's really important is I never want a child to feel like they are alone with whatever it is that they're going through. So Ella Hay, you're also a child behavior consultant. What do you offer in this service? And can you give us some examples of how you've helped children in your work? This certification was a 12-week program I took through the early years, the Child Behavior Total Learning Center. And the idea behind is that it allows me to work directly with families. Personally, I have been using everything that I've learning to really add to the stories because that I feel is really my gift and my strength. 
So I've been focusing less on working with families directly, but focusing more on using all that added knowledge to really add the tools and the structure and all these gems into the illustrations and into the stories. One of the things that I always try to achieve in my story is what I call stories within stories. So you have the external story and then because of the setting of the illustration, because of the dialogue, because of the way a parent might answer something to the child in the story, I get to create another story within a story or another conversation. It allows me to really use everything that I've learned through that program and embellish the stories so that they can teach on many different levels. That is not so, you know, this is what you need to do, but we're giving guidance through the way the characters will talk to each other, through the way the setting is, through the way a child is reacting to something. And that was really my main reason for doing this certification. But it also gives me that extra knowledge to answer parents when they need help and to consult with them. But I've really been focusing on the content of the stories and putting all of that in my work. Elahe, can you summarize the mission of your work for children? I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this officially for 15 years, but unofficially for as long as I can remember. And I have so many little anecdotes where I gravitate naturally towards children. I remember being at a hair salon once and I'm sitting down and this little child comes, they run to me, they hug me and then they go. And I didn't know this child. And I have a few stories like that where there is a natural connection that I feel very comfortable around children, but it's more than comfortable. It's just this joy. I get extremely joyful when I'm surrounded by the purity, the beauty, and the potential of children. My mission is to listen, to show up, and to do my best to bring hope to the next generation, because I really believe that every child is born to bloom, and we just have to prepare the garden for them and tend the garden so that they can do that. Well, Ella Hay, thank you so much for sharing your work with us. It's my pleasure, and thank you for these wonderful questions and for giving me the opportunity to share what we do. I, I really am very excited about our work and passionate about it. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ella Hay Boss, children's book illustrator and author. You can find her work at plantlovegrow.com. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel Abahai Perspective. You can also find the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Listen, 
Can you hear the sound of hearts beating all the world around? Down in the valley, out on the plain, everywhere around the world, the heartbeat sounds the same. Black or white, red or tan, it's the heart of the Can you hear the sound of laughter all the world around? High in the mountains, down by the sea, everywhere around the world, laughter sounds the same to me. Black or white, red or tan, it's the sound of the
city of Tehran, where seven candles burn. Follow me, all you who claim to be possessed of charity, down to the crimson.
there's bigger problems than hate. You guys are yeah, like losing talk. Why it better? We expect it to see stuff just So much strength. 